Praise God, everyone. Hallelujah. Hope that you're fine and well. Shall we just take a moment to pray and, and surrender this time and surrender ourselves that uh, we will be open to understand and hear what God is telling us. So church, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We give glory to you, Lord, Father. We thank you, Lord, that your presence has been with us from the very beginning of this service, Lord, Father. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for ministering to us, Lord, Father God, and we pray, Lord, that even as we continue to sit at your feet, Lord, Father, you will bring unto us, Lord, Father, that teaching which we need to apply into our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, Lord, Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every word that we take from your scripture, Lord, Father, you will enlighten it to us, Lord, Father. You will make it powerful in our lives, Lord, Father, that we will live lives that are right and righteous before you, Lord, Father. We thank you. We give glory to you. Surrender each one of us into your hands, Lord, that you will minister to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I think the teacher in me, uh, being, being a professional uh, teacher, starts by asking you a question. Uh, and I will be bringing some aspects of those questions right now. But I'm going to start off by just putting this scenario in front of you. Now, many of us are parents of students who are or who have passed through different school exam systems. Uh, some of us are students in school or in college, and we are constantly faced with different forms of exams. Now, as far as I know, most exam rules require that a student should get 50% to be promoted to a higher class. In some systems, it may be 40%. In some systems, it may even be 33%. But in most systems, the pass grade is 50%. Now, my rhetorical question to parents and children who are students is this. Are you satisfied if your child or if you as a student, you just get 50% or if you just get that 40% that is required for a pass or if you just get 33% that is required for a pass? Are you satisfied with that? Are you happy with that? I, and you say, fine, I've done it. I've got what I need to get and that's enough. Or, now let me turn this to the parents, do you push your child to get a higher grade, a higher mark, very often, and 100% is what you expect? If not 100%, a 95%, or at least a 90%, anything less than that is not good enough. Is that how you push your children? Why? My question is why? The law states that 50% or 40% or 33% is adequate to be labeled as successful. But I understand that anything less than 
50, 40, or 33 percent, according to the system, is unacceptable. Anything less than what the law requires makes you a failure. So as parents, you often push your child to a higher standard. You are simply not satisfied with your child just meeting the requirement of the law of the exam pass grade. Am I right? And I hope I've been clear so far. With that in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And our portion for today are a whole bunch of verses from verse 17 up to and including verse 48. Now we will not take all these verses together, but we will read them in segments. This is the third part of the Sermon on the Mount series. And the title for today's study is simply Living to a Higher Standard. Living to a Higher Standard. Last time we looked at the Beatitudes, we said it was the mandate for Christians. Today we are moving on. We are continuing in that same uh, message which Christ gave, his longest recorded message. And today's message is simply titled, Living to a Higher Standard. It's not a preaching, it's more of a teaching. Now let me take you back about 2,000 years to a mount beside the Sea of Galilee where Jesus delivered his longest recorded message. Let me remind you that the Sermon on the Mount teaching was primarily for the disciples and the followers of Jesus. Today, this means that the message of the Sermon on the Mount is primarily for believers. Others could listen and try to learn and understand. That's what happened when Jesus Christ gave the message on the Mount. It was a message to the disciples, but there were a lot of other people who heard it and they tried to understand it. And the portions that we are going to look at today also have the same impact. They were meant for the disciples and the followers of Jesus Christ, but many others could have heard it and could have tried to understand it. Today, in our midst, this message is predominantly for believers, followers of Jesus Christ. But it's also meant for those who are yet to know the Lord, but who want to know, who want to try to understand, and who want to try to learn from his teachings. All right, having said that, now let us imagine that we are seated on that mount by the Sea of Galilee, listening intently to what Jesus Christ is saying. And to start with, let's start by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Four verses, 17 to 20. And I shall read it from the New King James Version. 
do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me read verses 17 and 18 again, but this time from the New Living Translation. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. I assure you, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. So, before we go any further, let's try to understand this. In verses 17 to 19, Jesus is pointing out the importance of upholding fully, teaching completely, and doing everything that the scripture says. At the time that Jesus was giving this teaching, there was no New Testament. It was the only scripture available is what we call the Old Testament. The Jews, or according to the Jewish Bible called the Tanakh, these were all parts of the Tanakh scripture. You see, the Tanakh itself, which is the Jewish Bible, is made up of three interlinking parts. The part that we know best is the Torah. The Torah is the law. It's basically, basically the laws that are written in the first five books of the Tanakh is called the Torah. And then you have the second part of the, of the Tanakh, which is the Nevi'im, which is all about the prophets. And then you have a third part, which is the Ketuvim, which is the writings of the prophets. So you have the life of the prophets, you have the writings of the prophets, that's the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, and then you have the Torah, which is the law. So this is what the people up there on the mount knew. So when Jesus Christ said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, they could understand that what Jesus was talking about was what was there in the Tanakh. He was not talking about something that they couldn't understand. And Jesus was making it absolutely clear to his disciples and to all those listening that obeying the law of God, following the words of the prophets, 
was absolutely crucial to entry into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus re-emphasized that he had not come to throw out old laws and give new laws. He had not come to overthrow one government and replace it with another government. In fact, as we shall see shortly, Jesus took the same laws, applied them, but raised the promotion standard and the pass standard. He raised it to a much higher level, to a level of perfection, which is almost 100%. And that is why I started off by asking you this question. Don't we so often push our children to achieve the highest standards in their academic performance? And we are looking at 100%, if not 95% acceptable. But we certainly don't want our children, as parents, we do not want our children to sit with 33% or 40% or 50%. So the question that we need to ask ourselves really is this. And this is the question, the unsaid question that Jesus was putting across to his disciples. Why are you just satisfied in following the letter of the law? That's just 50%. If you follow the law, it's 50%. You get a pass mark. Why are you just satisfied doing that when you need to work for and achieve and try to go for the highest mark? There is so much more that you can do that you don't need to stick to the basic pass level that the law is giving you. In so many things in life, we are not satisfied with 50%. You aren't satisfied if your boss gives you 50% of the salary, are you? You want 100%. You worked for it. You deserve it. You don't want 50%. But when it comes to the law of God, very often we are satisfied with 50%. And we don't want to raise our standard of living our standard of thinking, our standards of relationship with God or with man to anything above 50%. In fact, at this very moment, some of you may be thinking, why do we even need the Old Testament? We are people of the New Testament times. Why do we need the Old Testament? It's just full of laws. It's full of rituals. It's full of regulations. In fact, at some points it's scary. It's full of death and destruction. Now, if you are thinking that, you're not the only person thinking that. There are many Christians who think like this. They'd be much more happier if the Bible as we know it now can be divided and we just take the New Testament as the new Bible. 
But that, unfortunately, brothers and sisters, is not going to happen. The Bible is the Word of God. It's the scripture and it is made up of 66 books. It's got the Old Testament and it's got the New Testament. You see, many New Testament believers love the New Testament because it's full of love. It's full of mercy. It's full of grace. It's full of forgiveness. There's very little judgment. There's very little death and destruction. There, there aren't many rules and regulations to follow in the New Testament. But Jesus Christ said, and I will read that verse again. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy or to abolish, but to fulfill. And if you read verse 18, you will see that Jesus had indicated a time frame for the application of the laws of the Old Testament. They have given a time frame as, as to how long the laws of the Old Testament, how long the writings of the prophet of the Old Testament need to be applied. Verse 18, he said, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Or as it says in the New Living Translation, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is achieved. You see what Jesus said? He said, till heaven and earth pass away. He did not say, till I am crucified and three days later I resurrect. Till that point the law and the prophet is applicable. He did not say that. He did not say, till the time John is given the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. And after that you don't have to worry about the law and the prophets. He did not say that. He said till heaven and earth pass away. Now what does he, what does that mean to you and to me? It's simply for us to recognize that heaven and earth will pass away only after the millennium. We will be dealing with the millennium next month. It's only after the millennium that the heaven and earth will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So till that point of time, the law and the prophets is applicable. We have no excuse. In the words of Jesus Christ, we are expected to follow all the laws of God, whether they are in Old Testament or in New Testament. And then Jesus made a statement which would really have shaken up everyone around there. It's a shake up statement. 
the disciples would have been shaken up. His followers would have been shaken up. The casual listeners would have been shaken up. Look at verse 20. He said, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that would have shaken the people. What's their chance? Because it was a well-recognized fact at that point of time that the Pharisees and the scribes were the keepers of the law. There was no one else who could keep the law as well as the Pharisees and the scribes. They kept it to the letter. In fact, even now, in Israel, there is one sect of Jews called the Hasidic Jews who follow the law and the prophets to the last jot and tittle. What's jot? Jot is the smallest alphabet of the Hebrew language. It's called Yod. If you want to take the Greek version, the smallest letter of the Greek version is the iota. That's what is translated in English as the jot. What's the title? It's not even a letter. It's that little squibble, that little stroke, that little dot, little line that is added on to a letter to change its meaning. You know, in many of our languages, we know that we can write a particular letter in a particular way, but then if you add a little extra line somewhere, it changes its pronunciation and therefore you can change the meaning of the word. You know that happens in Arabic, it's there in Hebrew, it's there in Greek. Okay, that little bit that you add, in fact the closest example, it's not a perfect example, but the closest example I have in the English language, in the English alphabet, is the letter O. The letter O, it's just a circle, just a round. But if you add a line at the bottom of it, it becomes the letter Q. You see, so that extra stroke that you add is the titan. These Hasidic Jews who are there in Israel right now, and in the past, most of the Pharisees and the scribes, they used to follow the law to the last jot and titan. They prided themselves on this and they despised common people for not being able to follow the letter of the law. In Luke chapter 18 verses 11 and 12, we have this prayer that the Pharisee made. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. They were very proud that they followed the letter of the law. 
as I said, the Hasidic Jews today in Israel still do the same. And that's why you'll see that they don't cut their, their beards. Because it's there in Leviticus that they should not. They are not supposed to cut the hair around the temple of their head. Now, of course, if they do become bald, it's a different story. Uh, but uh, otherwise, they are not supposed to shave off or to cut that hair. And they don't. And that's why you will see that many of them, if you look at pictures, you know, pictures of uh, Hasidic Jews uh, at the Wailing Wall, where they go and uh, pray by knocking their head against the wall, you will see that they will have curling curls of hairs. That's because they don't cut it. In fact, in many high-rise buildings in Israel at the moment, for the sake of the Hasidic Jews, there is a particular elevator called the Sabbath elevator. You know a Sabbath elevator? You enter it. It starts by itself. You don't need to press any button. Maybe you want to go to the 20th floor, but you can't do that. It will go floor by floor. Why? Because Hasidic Jews think that it is wrong, it is work to press the button to take you to a particular floor. So to avoid that, building constructors build the, Has the, the, uh, the Sabbath elevator. So that on the Sabbath, these Hasidic Jews can enter that elevator and it will automatically start off. But it will go floor by floor. First floor, open the door, close the door. Second floor, open the door, close the door. The guy will wait inside. You see, that is what it means to follow the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And that's what the Pharisees were so well known for to keep the letter of the law. And so people would have wondered, how am I going to do this? I've got to take my donkey out uh, on, on Sabbath day. I've got to go and take care of my this business and that business. And how am I supposed to manage all these? How am I supposed to walk only 30 feet? How am I supposed to breathe only seven times in a minute? I can't do all these things. If, if I, if, if, Therefore, if I can't do it, my righteousness, my right living can't be better than that of the Pharisees. So that was a shake-up statement. But there is a reason why Jesus mentioned it. And we'll talk about it a little later. You see, what Jesus was trying to tell believers, his followers then and believers today, is that we need to be better at following the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. The letter of the law makes you legalistic. The spirit of the law makes you apply the law of God as you bring that law into application. Okay. So what did Jesus mean by all of these things? We've already said it. The law is like your pass mark at school. It is like your 50% or 40% or 33%, whatever it is. And that is what the Pharisees were achieving because they were following the letter of the law. 
But followers of Christ in any generation were expected to and are expected to live to a much higher standard of righteousness or right living. We should be aiming for 100% or the perfection mark. Where do I get this perfection mark? Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. The last concluding verse of this part of Christ's teaching. He ends by saying this. Now, there are a lot of things that he has said in between, which we will refer to in uh, shortly. But he ends by saying this. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, that's 100%. If your righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees, and he starts looking at certain examples, which we shall look at short, shortly. He says, then you shall be perfect like your father in heaven. That's the 100%. So he says, don't be happy with the 50%. Don't just say, well, the Ten Commandments say, you know, thou shalt not murder. I don't murder anybody. Fine, I'm following the law. Yes, you aren't murdering anybody. I mean, I, I would suppose that uh, you know, 120 or 130 people on screen right now, none of us are murderers. So, yes, but that is just 50%. There is a lot more before you are entitled to be called perfect. It's not just don't murder, but there's a lot more. And we shall see some of that over the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Now, the question that I've often heard and that's often been repeated is this. In 2021, going on shortly into 2022, do we have to follow all the laws written in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and every other book of the Old Testament? I mean, I just... I'm just imagining it. I'm just putting a picture of myself. Imagine all the men of our church who are not bald like me, uh, but all the other men. I, and I see a couple of you are right there. You start growing the hair of your temple and all you will be having curls coming to church. You'll all have beards, you know. You should not cut it. No trimming of the beard and all. Huh? Long beards. Now, the question is this. In 2021, do we have to follow all the laws that were written in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and every other book of the Old Testament? Because Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And every one of it will be there till the end of time. So to answer that question, we really need to try to understand how the laws in the Old Testament are categorized. There are 613 laws found in the Old Testament. But only 10 laws were given directly by God. And we know this as the Ten Commandments. These were spoken by God. These were written 
by God. These are called the moral laws. The remaining 603 are explanatory sub-laws to be added as addendums to the Ten Commandments of God. Okay? Now, what was the purpose of all of these laws, the ten moral laws and the remaining 603 laws? You see, there was one thing which God wanted us to understand very clearly, and that is sin. He wanted us to know that we need to be far away from sin. But if we do get into sin, he wanted us to know that there is a way out. So the purpose of laws and sub-laws or the explanatory laws is to explain to us what sin is. It's also to expose the sin that is in us. So that we don't think that we are all self-righteous. And it's also for us to understand our need for a savior. Because if I know what sin is, and if I know that that sin has been exposed in me, and I know that I can't do anything about that sin, I have to express my need for a savior. And that's what laws do. And that's the purpose of laws. You see that all that the law can do is it can reveal our sin. It can expose our sin and our sinful nature. But it cannot save us. It cannot save us from the consequences of our sin. The law cannot save us. The law cannot redeem us. We need a savior for that. But we need the law to tell us that we have fallen short. And that's why laws are important. It's just like a thermometer. You see, the thermometer can reveal if you have fever or not. It can also reveal what is the degree of the increased temperature that you might be having. But just because you stick a thermometer into your mouth, or you have a thermometer shown to your forehead or your hand or wherever, it cannot heal you from the disease that's caused the fever. The law cannot save us. It can only tell us where we have gone wrong. It can expose us. But the law cannot save us. We need a redeemer. We need a savior for that. But if we did not have the law, we would not recognize that we are sinners and therefore we are in need of a savior and that is why it is important that we follow the laws now again which laws do we follow so the derived laws the sub laws are often called the ceremonial laws and the civil laws they address the external nature of man they point and they direct the people of God to a coming savior they show us where we have fallen short. Now the thing is this. Ceremonial laws and civil laws were for a nation, for a season and for a reason. 
So they have time frames. The Ten Commandments are the spoken and written laws of God. Who wrote the law first? God. With his finger on that tablet of stone which he gave to Moses, he wrote it. It was not written by man. Neither Moses nor Aaron nor anybody else wrote the law. So those are the ultimate laws. They are the moral laws. They address internal issues of the heart and they help us to relate to the character of God the Savior. These are eternal laws. They are applicable today just as they were applicable 2000 years back or 4000 years back. The need for God's moral laws is an ongoing issue. It will never stop. There will always be a need for us to look up to find whether we are falling short of the moral laws of God. They need to be obeyed completely till the end of time. And this is what Jesus was addressing. He was addressing the spoken and the written law of God as ultimate and would not be destroyed, would not be changed till the end of time. Past generations obeyed it. This generation should obey it and future generations must obey it. And frankly, the world is in such a mess today because we have chosen to either disobey God's law or we have compromised it to such a level that it is no longer a law. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, both the places you have these laws written down very well, you will recognize that all the Ten Commandments relate to the heart. They are not external laws. They don't relate to what you wear. They don't relate to how your beard should be or how your hair should be. They don't relate on how you should behave in front of uh, uh, others, in front of Jews or in front of believers or in front of pagans. They don't tell you what you should do when you have your monthly periods, whatever. They don't tell you what we should do when you've touched an unclean animal or something like that. Those are the external laws. Those are the ceremonial civil laws, which were for a nation, for a season and for a reason. But the Ten Commandments, they all relate to our inner person, to our heart. The first four commandments relate to how we honor and worship and obey God from inside, not from outside. How we do things on the outside simply doesn't matter. We can do a lot of things on the outside to, to imitate others or to fool others. But what matters is what is coming out of your heart. And the first four laws of the Ten Commandments relate to how we honor, worship and obey God. The last six commandments 
or how we honor our parents and respect our fellow human beings. When you covet your neighbor's wife, you are not respecting your neighbor. When you covet your neighbor's things, you are not respecting your neighbor's things. You are not respecting your neighbor. You see, so the last six commandments are about how we honor our parents, respect our fellow human beings. And all of these have to come from our heart. They are not external manifestations. You see, honor, worship, obedience, respect are manifestations of who we are in our heart, who we are in our inside. And that is why we still have to obey the moral laws of God till the end of time. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He said everything else comes from this. So at a practical application level, how does Christ want us to live our daily lives? I've obviously spent quite a bit of time on the first part because that's the most important part that Christ was talking about. And then he gives some examples and I'm just going to run through those examples pretty fast. Six times in the examples that Jesus gave, he says, you have heard that it was said. Matthew 5 verse 21, you have heard that it was said. 27, you have heard that it was said. 31, you have heard that it was said. 33, 38 and 43. Six times. Verse 21, verse 27, verse 31, verse 33, verse 38 and verse 43. You have heard that it was said. That's the law. Now each of these statements that Jesus is, has said is referenced to one or more laws in Exodus, Leviticus or Deuteronomy. And if you've got a cross-reference Bible, you can look it up. But in every instance, Jesus chose to raise the standard that the believer should adhere to. You have heard that this is what it was said. That's the law. And if you have done it, you have kept the letter of the law. But now I am telling you something different. This is what Jesus said. And he addressed the issue of murder. Verses 21 to 26. The act of murder is an external manifestation of an internal anger in the heart. That's why in law, they have certain words. Now, if you're driving your car 
and somebody comes across your car and you hit that person and the person dies. That is not accountable as murder. That is manslaughter or homicide. I may not be exactly following the definition that lawyers would follow. Forgive me for that. But if you have thought about somebody and then knocked that person off, that is murder. So if you have thought about that somebody, that thinking about takes place in the heart. So you see, it is the internal law that was affected first. Your act of murder is an external manifestation. But the law simply states you shall not murder. But Jesus said, you shall not even become angry. Because anger can give rise to murder. He said, don't even become angry. Because if you have become angry, you have broken the law. That's why Jesus is warning us to be careful of what we plan in our hearts. Don't use the word raka or empty head or worthless to somebody. Don't use the word fool because that can build up your anger that may terminate in murder. So Jesus said, I don't want you to even think in those lines. So now you raise your standard. Don't say that I'm not a murderer. You need to raise your standard. You need to raise your heart standards to such a level that there is no anger, that there is no harsh word, that you don't despise anybody, even in your heart. Because if you have done it, you have actually broken the law of God. Okay, which is commandment number six. That's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So if by chance you become angry and you throw your temper around and sometime later you have to apologize, don't say, God put temper in me. Or sometimes, you know, we don't, we are Christians, yeah? so we don't like to blame God. So we say, you know, the devil made me do it. But what is Paul telling us? If it is possible, as much as depends on you, that means all of that is in my control. It all depends on me. Live peaceably with all men, all people. Cain's anger in Genesis, Cain's anger resulted in the murder of Abel. 
You see, after that event happened, God comes and asks Cain in Genesis chapter 4 verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Or, or rather after the, uh, the uh, receiving of Abel's offering but the rejection of Cain's offering, Cain was angry. And he reflected that a little later by the murder of Abel, okay, his brother Abel. But when Cain became angry, at that point, Jesus, uh, sorry, God came and asked him, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Because it was that anger that festered in him and made him kill his brother. Item number two is adultery. Verses 27 to 30. Now this was rampant. Adultery was rampant in that time and Jesus addressed it. See the act of adultery is an external manifestation of an internal lust. In verse 28, Jesus says that lust is from the heart and it is a precursor of adultery. Lust is from the heart. It says here, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's an issue of the heart. The law states that you do not, that you should not commit adultery. That's uh, commandment number seven. But the higher standard that Jesus expects from each of us is that we do not even give place to any improper thought in our heart. No improper thoughts. No lustful thoughts. Because that's breaking God's moral code. David lusted in his heart for Bathsheba. And what happened? He ended up with adultery and murder. See, I hope you recognize why Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law. Rather, he came to raise its standard to such a level that only a child of God could follow that. You need God's grace. Now, when we say that this is the age of grace, the church age is the age of grace, what do we mean by that? It's very nice to say this is the age of grace. Does it mean that we can go and do anything that we want? No. It simply means that it's the time of grace when we can apply all of that into each of our lives. Not to go and do anything that we want. It is the grace of God which will help me to raise my standard of living to a higher level. My plane of living to a higher level. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul tells us this. I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's not be conformed to this world. Let's not think that what the world jokes about is okay. I'm just joking. Your mind, my mind has got to be transformed into the kind of thinking that a heavenly being should be having. The third thing that Jesus addressed was divorce. Which is part of the process of adultery. And again, it was pretty common in that time. You see, the Mosaic law allowed for divorce because of the hardness of a man's heart. In Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus says this. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Can't be made any clearer than this. The men just used the women and then discarded them. So to protect those women, there had to be a decree of divorce, a letter, a paper, which would allow them to get back into a home. Otherwise, they are outcasts. And in any generation, being outcast is terrible. In this generation, we have seen it with uh, HIV patients. Somebody gets declared as a HIV patient, gets thrown out of the house, on the street, with nothing other than the, the, the shirt or the pant or the, or the dress they are wearing. In that generation, can you imagine, 2000 years back, a woman gets thrown out on the street. She is fair prey for every single man around there. And that's why Moses had to create that sub-law which allowed for divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts. But it was not so from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. The prophet Malachi in chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 also says something similar and I'll read it from the New International Version. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Please note that it says marriage covenant, not marriage contract. It's marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. This was a problem. Divorce was a huge problem. 
today in the world outside it is not a problem at all people don't even marry so where is the question of divorce live together split when you want but god hates divorce they have become such frivolous activities today I and mean, some of you have heard about that actor called nicholas page he once married a woman and divorced her four days later britney spears the singer once married a friend and applied for divorce or annulment of marriage seven hours later the whole thing has become a joke but to a christian believer our standard of marriage is much 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 higher it is a covenant relationship divorce is not an option and that's what jesus christ was telling his followers then and now and he spoke about oath taking verses 33 to 37 now the question is why do we need to make an oath and on what or on whom do you say i promise or i swear jesus is raising the standard of our integrity your integrity must be of such high standard when you say yes you will do it everybody will know that you will do it no is no you don't need to say yes i swear i will do it you see your integrity must be of such a high standard that nobody must doubt your word if you have said it you will do it if you have said that's for a yes and if you have said no it means you will not do it that's it there's no further discussion you see your integrity is what matters and jesus was telling his followers then and now where is your integrity is it just at a level where you know sometimes you make statements and then you know you you go back on it and the people are not sure whether to believe you or not to believe you it can't be like that then we move on to the next one which is retaliation verses 38 to 42 when we are wronged our first response is to get even or to retaliate jesus changed that concept completely go out of your way to help or to do good to someone who has hurt you this is a manifestation of forgiveness and love it might not be a natural process and only god can give us the grace to love as he loves you get beaten on one cheek show the other cheek don't retaliate and that continues into the next portion which is loving your enemy verses 43 to 47 you see the rallying cry of the pharisees was psalm 139 verse 22 I hate them with the perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. This is what David said. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. His statement is in context which is different. 
But this was the rallying cry of Pharisees. I will hate those who don't like, who, who, who are against me. I count them my enemies. And it was offensive to the Jews to love their enemies. How could the Jews love the Romans? After all, they wanted the Messiah to come and uh, uh, you know, get to overthrow the Romans. And so suddenly Jesus Christ is saying, sitting on that mount, love your enemies. And, uh, you know, how would the Jews take it? It was offensive to them. That very idea was offensive. It's easy to love those who love you. Everybody does it. The problem is loving those who despise you. Or loving those whom you despise. But this is what Jesus Christ said we should be doing. This is where we need to raise our standards. In Proverbs chapter 25 verse 21, we read these wise words of Solomon. He said, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Yes, you will add coals of fire on his head, etc. It goes on. Jesus Christ was telling us, telling his disciples, telling believers today, you need to have a change of mindset and heart set. Love, not hate, needs to flow out from our hearts. Our standard of behavior should be higher than the minimum standard that the law requires. That's where Jesus Christ said, you know, um, let me get to that verse. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, it was a law that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his belongings, you had to do it. It was a law of the land. You had to carry his belongings. But you have to carry it only for one mile. Then the Roman soldier has to look for somebody else to carry it. You see, remember when Jesus Christ was being taken uh, to, the, to Golgotha, he had the cross with him. And at one point he stumbled. And the Roman soldier actually asked another guy to carry that cross. The guy could not say no, even though carrying a cross is symbolic of being a criminal. But he could not say no because the Roman soldier was asking to sorry, the Roman soldier was asking him to do it. So Jesus Christ was saying here, if your enemy asks you to go with him one mile, be nice to him, carry his things for two miles. And he'll be surprised, he'll be wondering what's gone wrong with this guy. The guy who used to grumble just to carry for one mile, he's now carrying my things for two miles. Nice for me, but what's happening? Show that you are different. So now the big question is this, as I come close to our conclusion. Why was Jesus telling his disciples to raise their interpretation of the law to a higher level? 
Why not just do what the law expected you to do? You see, in reality, it was not difficult to follow the moral code of God. You read the test, ten, ten, ten Commandments, they are not difficult to follow. Anybody could do it, and a lot of people did it. See, do not murder, do not steal, do not tell lies, honor God, honor your parents. You know, it's not difficult. You can do it. The Pharisees, unfortunately, focused more on ceremonial and civil laws, that, which, were, which were actually more difficult to follow on a day-to-day -day basis. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do this. And that's the way the Pharisees kept control over the common people. But Jesus wanted his disciples to be different. He wanted them to stand out as examples of how a follower of Christ should be. Today the message is the same for you and me. Don't be the same as the world. Be different. Raise the standard of your moral code. Be perfect. In conclusion, Matthew 5 verse 48 is our ultimate goal. We have read that one. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, perfection is what you and I need to aspire for. And that is the key to, 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 to achieving what Christ wanted us to achieve. But the key to that is righteousness. Verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So the key to perfection is righteousness. And what is righteousness? Now that has been defined as a qualifying life record worthy of acceptance at the highest court. Now, which is the highest court? God's court is the highest court. So righteousness is a qualifying life record. Look at your own life. Does it qualify to be accepted in God's court? If you haven't got that acceptance, you have to work on your righteousness. Our righteousness needs to be higher than that of the world around us. Let's stand apart. Now, can you do it? Can I do it? Yes, we can. You see, Jesus set the example for us. He lived the righteous life we are supposed to live. He set the example. He lived that righteous life. And he said, this is the way you should live. Now, the only thing that stands in the way of our living righteous lives is the sin that ensnares us. To sort out that problem, Jesus Christ went to the cross. And when Jesus died on that cross, our sin was transferred to him 
and his righteousness was transferred to us. You know, the, the, the theological statement that you have is, our sin was imputed to him and his righteousness was imputed to you and to me. This is called the doctrine of double imputation. And this is again what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where he said, and I shall read it from the New International Version, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus showed us the life we are supposed to live by dying the death we were supposed to die. And now, let us go and live the life we are meant to live. So church, finally, what is the takeaway message from today's study? Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He did not come to lower their standards, but to raise them up to a higher standard. Church, we need to examine our hearts. For that is where all the issues of life are embedded. Choose this day to live righteous lives with pure and holy hearts. Look to a perfect God for your own perfection. God bless you all.